You're listening to the Live Free Now podcast, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Find us online at livefreenow.show. And now your host, John Bush. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to the Live Free Now show, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Today, we have a wonderful program lined up for you. We're going to be chatting with Howard Lickman about a project he's involved with called The Thick Red Line. And essentially, the aim of the project, from what I gather, is to try to restore some peace and harmony between community members and law enforcement. And if you've been paying attention At all lately, you uh, are well aware that there's a lot of division, discord, violence. Cities are burning down. There's immense mistrust. Some rightfully there, some um, misplaced. And it looks like they're trying to put this fire out by bringing people together. And they got a wonderful tactic to do that. We're going to hear from Howard all about that. Uh, here shortly. Uh, I want to invite you to uh, subscribe to the podcast at livefreenow.show. That's livefreenow.show, where you can find all of the previous podcasts and you could subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher. Also, please sign up for our email newsletter so we can keep in touch. We are broadcasting live in various different places. And uh, for the podcast listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. All right, without further ado, let's bring him up, the man of the hour, Howard Lickman. How are you today? Hey, John. Good to be with you and your audience. Yeah, man. So why don't you start uh, by introducing yourself, sharing a little a little bit about yourself to some of the audience that may not be familiar with you, and then we'll just get right down to the the nuts and bolts of this cool project you're working on. Sure. I'm a technology uh, executive. I own a, a small consulting company in the field of visual collaboration, and I'm a longtime uh, liberty lover. I'm a voluntarist, and uh, and I also um, didn't real. I was in California uh, at the beginning of the COVID, and I was doing some activism with our mutual friend David Rodriguez, and uh, we got together with some folks that did not believe the story that the government and the media was telling us about the COVID. And we began going into hospitals very early on in what the LA Times said was the epicenter of COVID in California. And uh, we found empty tents, empty waiting rooms. We talked to the uh, employees doing the testing. They said that they weren't doing very much testing at all. And in fact, uh, they weren't seeing any more increase in death and disease than the usual and customary, you know, seasonal influenzas and uh, uh, COPDs and, you know, respiratory issues that drove people, drive people to the emergency room or kill them or, you know, whatever it is. And we found hospital employees that were openly speculating uh, that the whole thing was a hoax. So we began organizing civil disobedience and we would reopen parks and we would reopen beaches and the police would come out and they say, hey, you know, you're not allowed on this beach. This beach is closed. And we'd say, no, you don't own the beach. We, you know, we'd stand on our natural law rights. And the police officers would say, hey, we, man, we, we're with you, dude. We don't want to, want to be doing this. But like, what are we supposed to do, you know? And they were, you could tell they didn't want to be forcing these lockdowns. And so we, you know, 
know, we when we stood firm on our natural law rights and just began having a conversation with them, we realized that, you know, uh, you know, what could they do? And I had a little bit of an epiphany, and the epiphany was that they all needed to get together and collectively draw a thick red line in the sand and say, hey, we're not going to use violence on peaceful people. We're not going to uh, um, uh, raise revenue on our friends and neighbors, and we're not going to force these lockdowns that are bankrupting local businesses. Um, and so you can see, tell that they kind of like the idea. And so we began building a website and we began, you know, trying to explain to them that if you were going to draw a thick red line in the sand and almost all police officers say they have a thick red line in the sand, like we're not going to confiscate guns or, you know, it's just different places for different people. And we've been explaining that if you're going to do that, the logical and the moral place is natural law and it's no victim, no crime. And that if the police just went to protecting life, liberty, and property, well, then everybody loves the police. And it's only really when they're enforcing victimless crimes or lockdowns or mask mandates or red flag laws or raising revenue through taxation, through citation that causes the racial and societal, uh, you know, um, uh, division that is, you know, where the police are under fire in all these cities. And so uh, Black Lives Matter wants to defund the police. And while we, you know, completely sympathize with their frustration with police abuses, we think this is a much better solution that not just fixes the problem of selective enforcement of victimless crimes in minority communities or, you know, the, the problems associated with raising revenue on the population by through these outrageous citations and fines for victimless crimes. But but this you know, restores respect to the police. And so we want the, so it's really up to the police to say no, but we want to support them as a community and want to say, Hey, uh, you know, politicians, uh, it's, it's the people and the police together telling you no more victimless crimes, no more raising revenue taxation through citation. And we think if the people and the police are united, then there's nothing that the politicians can do. And all this tyranny just kind of ends and nobody would have to fear the police anymore. And so that's kind of what we're all about. That's how we got started. And um, uh, we're, we're supporting the police to say no to politicians on lockdowns and victimless crimes. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there. And uh, thank you for that introduction to what the project's all about. I think it's cool that it was inspired by you guys doing some COVID activism. And I've been following you and uh, old David Extreme, uh, David Rodriguez, who's quite the extremist these days with his activism. You guys are really doing some good work over there. So um, let me ask you this, just to get things uh, out of the way. What exactly do you mean when you say victimless crime? Can you give us some examples of a victimless crime? And then, of course, can you compare that to what a, a crime that has a victim is? Yeah, sure. So the so the you know, the government forces everybody to go to their mandatory schools and they teach the kids that whatever they write down on paper, whatever the politicians write down on a fancy piece of paper is law. And then if you break that law, then you owe, owe the government money or you've got to go into a government cage or, you know, something like that. And obviously not all of those laws are moral just because of, you know, a politician writes something down on a piece of paper doesn't mean that it's moral or it's the word of God or anything like that. And so a lot of the, a lot of the, the laws that politician makes make and continue to make every day, they're turning out new laws. A lot of these laws are immoral and tyrannical on their face. 
And you obviously can't use the fact that a politician wrote it on a piece of paper as a, as a yardstick for morality, or you get fugitive slave laws, and you get Jim Crow laws, and you get Nazi Germany. And so what we're doing is we're educating the, uh, we're educating the police on something called natural law. And in natural law, there's kind of five main transgressions. There's murder, robbery, rape, uh, assault, and trespass. And all of these have a obvious victim because somebody has been, you know, has been harmed. And so those are obviously wrongs. And when you hear people say, I have a right to this or I have a right to that, well, a right is anything that's not a wrong. And so when the police and the politician, when the, when the politicians pass laws that have victimless crimes, and that victimless crime can be anything from a seatbelt law to, uh, you know, talking on your cell phone while you're driving to um, uh, smoking uh, cannabis to uh, using CBD products or using natural supplements that some people don't like. Uh, some politician, uh, you know, in the pocket of the pharmaceutical industry doesn't like. And so the when the government makes these, it says, hey, it's against the law to do something where there's no victim. They make the police the victim because now the police are using violence on peaceful people. And so what we're doing is we're educating the police on what victimless crimes are. And we're educating them as to, you know, if there's not really a victim, it's not really a crime. And then the same way the sheriff has discretion, wave his hand and say, hey, we're not going to enforce certain classes of victimless crimes. And they do it all, to, you know, all the time. The individual police officers have the ability to get together, lock arms as a department and say, we're no longer going to enforce these either. And so we want this, we want to give the, you know, the just, in, 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 they, they've had this discretion, but we want to just codify it for them. Okay. Okay. So there's a few things that are coming up and we do have some comments too. So I'm going to read this comment here and then I'm going to kind of um, clarify the question that I would like to ask you. Please ask him about the big one he's skipping, death by cop in the homes and streets, the difference, different use of force applied to people of color. Now, let me ask you this. I'm with you on abandoning the victimless crime. And that's even like an old common law type thing that you can try to bring up in court. Oftentimes the judges won't, they won't hear it. But one of the problems is what about when there's actually a crime taking place, right? I, I want to know what the thick red line strategy would do to accommodate this. So let's say, uh, I think his name was Eric Garner, the guy that got choked out in New York city. He apparently, well, I guess there's no victim really whenever you're selling the Lucy cigarettes, let's say George Floyd, he apparently was trying to use a fake $20 bill or whatever, right? Or a hypothetical example, there is someone that does break the law. They do take from someone. They do hurt someone. And then law enforcement comes in and is overly brutal. And I know that I don't like the collectivist thing where like all cops are a certain way, right? Or all minorities are a certain way, which some people falsely believe, um, I do know that there's good cops out there that are decently good human beings, right? I've had relationships with law enforcement folks that were that were speaking our language when it comes to law enforcement, when it comes to voluntarists and all this stuff. But I've, I also know that the institution has a tendency to attract some very unsavory characters. And there are some people that are genuinely not the best human beings that like to use that uh, official office, that authority that they get in order to hurt people. And there are some racists in law enforcement and racists in law enforcement have more power to harm people than just your good old boys and in, in Southern Alabama or whatever. No, no uh, offense to folks in Alabama, but 
what do you say to that? Because it sounds like we could have an environment where the victimless crimes are eliminated, but there's still racist cops that are taking advantage of the opportunity to beat up on black folks. What do, what do you say to that? Or white folks or whomever. But there is a tendency for people of color. It seems like they get it a little worse. What, what do you say to that? No, they absolutely get it worse. And that's one of the problems that we identify in the handbook. And in our initial video, we actually showed the statistics of the discrep the uh, discrepancy between, you know, the the amount of, of people of color that are uh, disproportionately targeted by the police for enforcement of mostly these victimless crimes. And so if you do have racist police officers, then they love victimless crimes because the victimless crime gives them the opportunity to root around in somebody's car and search their car and try and find something that's that the government says is illegal. And there's a gazillion different things that the government says is illegal all of the victims crimes. And so if they can find you without a prescription, you know, with a, with someone else's prescription in your car, they can find, you know, you with cannabis, your car, they can find you with some, you know, something where they get to charge you money. Well, that is for racists. That's like, that's like a field day. Yeah. And so if you get rid of the victimless crimes and the, and you say, I mean, you know, I mean, I like, we, we hope that ultimately one day, you know, is your department, is your sheriff's department redlined? You know, are they a thick red line department? Well, that's a badge of honor because you know that they that they're not pretending that they don't have rights. That you do, and they're not trying. They're you know they're saying, hey, we're not going to enforce things that aren't really crimes. And so we want it to be a badge of honor that you can trust all of the people in the department. It's a lot harder for a racist cop to be a racist against somebody of color if the only thing that they can arrest them for is a real crime with a real victim. Because, I mean, okay. it can still happen, but you've really, you've got to manufacture a victim. You've got to have somebody that's willing to lie and say that Bob, you know, uh, stole something from my garage and have the scorn of the community on Bob, you know, on the, on the person making the accusation. Versus what happens now is, you know, under victimless crimes, all it takes is a racist cop throws, you know, uh, a gun in somebody's car or a baggie of cocaine or, you know, uh, you know, paraphernalia or something like that. And now they can arrest them. They can make it a felony. And so yeah. it really is. It's a horrible, horrible situation, uh, you know, for for people of color who live in fear of race police officers uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, getting the opportunity to throw them in jail for a felony. And so I think people of color would feel much, much safer under a department that was thick red line and saying, Hey, we're not going to be doing that to you. We're good people. We're, we're not, yeah. we wouldn't do that to, you know, we wouldn't do that to you. So. Okay. I understand. I think part of what I was getting at was that there are some times when someone there is a victim, like they steal $100 from someone's wallet, and then the police take the opportunity to be a little more aggressive. That phenomenon could still take place, but you're making the point that it would be dramatically limited if the cops had to focus on crimes with the victim. First of all, they wouldn't have all the time to go lollygag and harass the black youth walking down the street at night, right? They'd be focused on detective work and actual policing. And, um, and there is an incidence where you know, the young white preppy kid in the rich part of town that's smoking cannabis out by the park oftentimes will get overlooked or a slap on the hand. But the black poor kid in the in the other part of town, the low income part of town or the Mexican or the white poor kid in a marginalized community, 
uh, they're the ones that get roughed up. And so you take away the victimless crime and it minimizes those opportunities. It sounds like, yeah. Absolutely. And so there's, you know, there's, there would be a lot less of the police trolling around, trying to arrest somebody, trying to raise revenue on them if that, if they didn't have the opportunity to do that. Okay, cool. I want to get into some perspectives like, uh, cause that was someone Marion that, that posted that. And it sounds like Marion is someone that's concerned with the police brutality against people of color. I want to ask you some questions from like a hardcore anarchist voluntarist because there's a lot of purists out there that would see this as like working with the enemy essentially and then strategically i'd like to talk with you too because i've done some police accountability work and there's going to be resistance because these a lot of these police departments they like enforcing victimless crimes because it gives them the a reason to have a bigger budget it gives them a reason to exist but before we get to that why don't we watch this video i watched it the other day that you have on the website it's pretty well put together and polished and i gotta say you deliver it pretty smoothly the way that you uh you share this introduction. So let's go ahead and watch this video here for the for the viewing and listening audience to uh, kind of get a nice overview of what the project's all about. Here we go. American cities are on fire. There's rioting, looting, and police officers are being shot in the streets. Black Lives Matter is encouraging cities and towns to defund the police. And while we share BLM's frustration with police abuses, we're excited to share with them that there is a much better solution. What if there was a single simple change to policing that would end the racial and societal division in our cities, end forced lockdowns and mask mandates, break the backs of drug cartels and pimps, save taxpayers billions of dollars, and focus the police on real crimes with real victims? That simple change is ending enforcement of victimless crimes, and it can be done by the local sheriff, town councils, or the police officers themselves by getting together collectively and refusing to go along. The biggest problem with policing isn't the police. It's politicians and bureaucrats that use legislation and executive orders, uh, forcing the police to raise revenue on their friends and neighbors, arrest peaceful people for victimless crimes, or steal money vehicles, and property using civil asset forfeiture. When police are busting murderers, rapists, and thieves, and everybody loves the police, it's the enforcement of victimless crimes and raising revenue on the population that is causing racial and societal division. In those policies, and the violence stops, and people will once again respect the police. I know from personally speaking dozens of police officers and deputies that they don't want to be enforcing lockdowns that are bankrupting local businesses or raising revenue on their friends and neighbors. But they feel trapped, trapped by the prospect of losing their jobs and their pensions. And now the politicians are trying to force them to commit even more tyrannical acts, instituting stealth gun confiscation under the guise of red flag laws. And now openly discussing using the police for mandatory vaccinations. Myself and some friends decided to do something about it. My name is Howard Lickman and I'm the co-founder of the Thick Red Line Project. And we are helping sheriffs, police chiefs, deputies and officers to say no to the politicians who would have them use violence and fines, which is simply extortion under the color of law on peaceful people. We're helping them organize collectively and draw a thick red line in the sand 
if they are united as an agency and supported by the community, then there is no way that politicians can force them to do anything. We're asking our friends, colleagues, elected representatives, and everyone who wants to see the violence stop to help. We're raising $10,000 to get the project off the ground, and the money will allow us to print hard copies of a handbook that we created to help sheriffs, police chiefs, deputies, and officers organize their agencies. We want to mail copies to elected officials, journalists, community leaders, and citizen activists in cities that are being pressed to defund their departments so that they know there is a better way that ends the violence without throwing those cities and towns into turmoil. If you want to help, then we have hard copies of our handbook and cards for cops to help you support your local sheriff and local police department. If you can help in a big way, then we can organize a mailing and calling campaign that can get information into the hands of your local sheriff, police chief, elected officials, journalists, television and newspapers, community leaders and community activists. Together, we can stop the violence in the lockdowns, keep hundreds of thousands of people out of for-profit prisons, save the taxpayers billions, break the backs of drug cartels and pimps, end 60,000 SWAT team raids a year, and most importantly, restore respect for the police and get them focused on real crimes with real victims. We're going to uh, stop it right there. Okay, so let me um, – There, so we're, we're live on DLive. I want to thank everyone that's uh, tuning into the live stream, especially thanks to the folks on, on DLive. We're streaming on Facebook and YouTube on multiple different channels, but the folks on DLive are the ones that are still going to be able to see us when we inevitably get censored by – by big tech and uh, D Live is is kind of cranking out some some thoughts. Let me show that here. Uh, some of the D Live are probably some more of the extreme radicals over here. So uh, they were excited to hear about asking about an anarchist point of view. Uh, the order followers are the reason that the ty- Tyranovs forward on. They're the revenue generators for the state. There was some pushback earlier in the conversation. So let's go ahead and hit that because you can hit this from multiple different perspectives. I like to consider myself a philosophical anarchist and, you know, pretty, pretty big purist when it comes to this stuff. So the whole concept of restoring respect for the police, you know, and, and earlier you said that their function was supposed to protect life, liberty and property, right? I've never known government to actually protect life, liberty and property. And in fact, government has historically done the exact opposite. They've been the biggest aggressors against life, liberty and property. So what do you say strategic? I know a lot of this is about strategy, right? Like a return to a minarchist constitutional government would certainly be preferable to this nasty empire, intrusive federal government we have, right? Just the same. In an ideal anarchist world, there there are no municipal monopolistic police. There's private defense. There's civil defense. There's Dale Brown. Somebody asked about Dale Brand. Dale Brown's uh, Threat Management Center in Detroit. We'll talk about that. So how do you respond to that? Because I know that you're a voluntarist and some other voluntarists are probably a little irking and feeling a little uneasy about the approach that you're taking. What do you say to that? Yeah, so 100% I'm a voluntarist. Uh, I don't believe that government is legitimate, desirable, or necessary. But what I'm doing is I'm working within the system that we have now to give the people that are trapped in it through these, this, you know, uh, this flawed designed bad incentive system. Uh, I'm trying to give them a way out 
that is good for both uh, the enforcers and for the communities that right now that's their only form of armed police response. And so in the book, we talk outright in, in the handbook, we, we discuss uh, the privatization of police services, and we're looking for innovative police chiefs and innovative sheriffs that could that that are interested in privatizing their departments. But in the meantime, you know, the the main thing that I'm concerned is, you know, how do you end the violence in the cities and the racial and societal division and achieve, you know, the greatest good for the greatest number without any, you know, using any force on anybody else. And so I look at this as a way of getting, you know, getting us uh, uh, in a huge, huge step towards uh, a voluntary future and a voluntary world in something that can be achieved today within the existing paradigm that both that is good for the community and is good for the police. And so, you know, I don't, you know, I don't see any negatives. Uh, I'm not hiding the fact that, that I'm voluntarist. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to educate people as to the market mechanisms where the police uh, can be privatized. And because they are privatized and they have to compete with West Tech and uh, Brinks AT, you know, that they produce better service focused on uh, restitution and, you know, versus retribution. And that they're not out raising, they have no ability to raise, you know, to, to for them to be forced by politicians to raise revenue on their friends and neighbors. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm 100%, you know, with you. I just, this is, this is the step that gets us, you know, 80, 90% of our shared goal that can be accomplished within the existing framework of the, you know, mandatory government police. Right on. And, you know, I can appreciate that from a, a practical standpoint. Like I try to be idealistic in where it is that I would like to see society go. But I long ago accepted the fact that it's highly unlikely that at least in our generation or my kids generation or my grandkids that we will accomplish a global stateless society. Right. And so one of the things that I've tried to concern myself with is how can we strategically carve out an environment where we free people who no longer have use for government, who would much rather self-govern, how can we peacefully coexist with the existing state state apparatus? And so I see this um, this organization and this effort that you guys are, are putting together as kind of a a step towards that, helping to realize that, right? Because at the end of the day, if the cops are only messing with, with victim crimes that have victims, then a lot of people all of a sudden don't really even engage with the state so much. So let me ask you this. Obviously, you're targeting municipal police. Are there any efforts to reach out to uh, the IRS, right? Because there's stuff like income tax that often doesn't get enforced. However, the federal agents, if they're actually going to go raid someone's house and take their property, they do ask the local sheriff's department to to hop on board. Uh, let, let, me, let me hear from you about how the other crimes, like not a direct crime that police investigate, but a crime like not paying your income tax, for example. And then I'd be curious to hear, are you guys targeting sheriffs as well? Because they're a little different. Could you share with us some of the differences between a corporate municipal police department and a constitutional county sheriff department and how how that structure, that legal change affects the work that you're doing? 
Yeah, so the, the sheriff really is the, the linchpin here, and because the sheriff is an elected official and has has kind of broad public support and can't be fired except by the people. And so the sheriff can wave his hand and say, we're not, as a department, going to do victimless crimes. And they do it all the time. So we're actually starting with, you know, there's a lot of really good sheriffs that have said no publicly to lockdowns, have said no publicly to mask mandates and Thanksgiving, uh, you know, uh, uh, Thanksgiving limitations and red flag laws. And so there's tons of sheriffs that are saying, you know, we've already drawn a thick red line right here. What we're trying to do is just educate them as to, you know, take them a little bit further and say, you know, really, if you're going to do it morally, if you're going to do it ethically, no victim, no crime, that's where you draw the line. That's what's going to give you the good karma. That's what's going to, uh, you know, reduce the violence in your particular city. And uh, so we're starting with the sheriffs, the police chiefs in a, in a municipal police department. The chief totally works at the pleasure of the city council, the town manager, the mayor. And they, you know, they can also they have wide discretion. They can, you know, wave their hand, uh, but they can be overruled, um, you know, by the and, and I and I, you know, know from when we were doing civil disobedience in California that this was being pushed down on police chiefs from uh, elected, you know, from politicians it wasn't, you know, coming from the, you know, law enforcement in a great many cases. And so sheriffs are kind of, we look at it as the low hanging fruit. We're all going after police chiefs. There's plenty of good police chiefs that aren't willing to use violence on peaceful people. Uh, but it's the sheriffs who believe we have got the best shot at, and we think they're supported by the people, uh, you know, then, uh, then that's going to give them, the uh, the the cover to be able to you know make a, a, a drastic change like this, and then uh, finally you could also do it through elected uh, representatives. And so one of our uh, one of our uh, board uh, of advisors member is a gentleman by the name of Dave Austin. He's a five time elected alderman in the city of Virginia, Vermont, and he gave us a great quote. He said, you know that you know paraphrasing, I don't want our police focus wasting their time on victimless crimes i want them focused on real crimes with real victims and so you know if you're if you're an elected representative if you're an alderman if you're uh, you know a board of supervisors member you know you have the they they have the ability to tell the police department and the sheriff hey we don't want you to be raising revenue on our constituents we don't want you know we don't want you you're going to have to maybe you know trim up the SWAT team and lose the drone and, you know, maybe, uh, the stingray tower and all the, you know, the other, you know, affronts to, uh, to, uh, privacy that, uh, you know, where, 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 you know, it's kind of getting, getting some, in some cities and towns is getting out of control. Right on. Okay. Have you guys reached out to Richard Mack? I showed, uh, the constitutional sheriff's peace officers association, uh, Richard Mack has done a lot of good work. For people not familiar, he was a sheriff in the 90s that pushed back on the Brady Bill, which was going to enforce on, air quotes, automatic weapons or assault rifles that they call them, right? And uh, he was actually pretty successful. And then he turned it into a movement, essentially, encouraging uh, sheriffs to stand up for the rights of the people in their county and to disobey unjust laws. Have you guys reached out to him or is there any opportunity for collaboration there? Because it sounds like you guys are speaking the same language. Uh, absolutely. And in fact, Sheriff Mack is on our 
board of advisors and, cool. uh, on the webs and on our website at www.thinkline.org in the video section you can see an interview that Tim Pachote, the Liberty Advisor, did with Sheriff Mack and myself at the Red Pill Expo on Jekyll Island earlier this Perfect. year. Where we talk about, you know, where we talk about um, victimless crimes and where Sheriff Mack himself is railing against taxation through citation, talking about what a problem it is for law enforcement where the, you know, where they're being leaned on to raise revenue on what are essentially their friends and neighbors for politicians to pay for these political problems. And so Sheriff Max against that. Well, we're against that. You know, this, this is, this, this is a really, really big tent. And so, you know, this is something that voluntarists and constitutionalists and liberals and conservatives, like everybody can get together on ending victimless crimes uh, for a variety of different, you know, reasons. And that's what we're trying to build is we're trying to build, you know, uh, a huge, huge, huge tent where the entire community can get behind this because it's producing so many benefits for so many different constituencies within the community, from saving the taxpayers' money to, you know, ending the, you know, the in ending racist cops' ability to, you know, to frame with planted drugs or guns or, you know, I mean, it, there's so many, so many positive outcomes that it, that I haven't really run into anybody, any serious criticism of the idea, you know, why it couldn't work, why it wouldn't work. So we're, we're excited that, that so many different aspects of people uh, are on board with the thick red line. Yeah. I think probably the most uh, resistance would come from, uh, police officer associations and perhaps private prison associations, right? Because you're going to be taking away some of their their revenue. And I know that like the the associations, the the law enforcement associations, really have a tendency to be to be nasty and have a big influence on public policy. They're the ones that are always fighting to keep uh, cannabis schedule one. They're the ones that are always fighting against decriminalizing this or lowering fines and 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 uh, the criminal penalties for all sorts of stuff. So that would definitely be one to watch out for. Um, you know, I've have, I have a, a lot of experience in the police accountability world. There were a few years where that was one of my primary focuses with the Peaceful Streets Project. Uh, I was the co-founder of that organization. We came together in defense of Antonio Beeler, who was wrongfully arrested, Trump, and then they put him on trumped up charges. It really started and ignited a movement. And we used to go do these police abuse reports, what we call them, the police accountability, police abuse complaint department. That's what it was, police abuse complaint department. We'd sit out in front of the jail and we would interview people as they would come out. And we got all sorts of nasty stories. And we realized that like Antonio Beeler got it really bad, but there's a lot of folks that get it even worse. So we started this Peaceful Streets Project. Now, I had a, a split with this gentleman. Um, I didn't really even want to list his name, but it helps with the backstory. And the reason was because... I have often taken a similar approach to you, even if it's someone that I see as a political adversary. Um, I still like the approach where we have a try to have a civil conversation, try to reach people through connection rather than through vitriol and aggression. And the tone that was coming from some of the folks that were involved in that organization started turning into the all cops are bastards, pigs are scum. Whenever there would be a, a law enforcement officer that was killed in the line of duty, uh, there, it would kind of be celebrated like on the social media. And I was like, you know, I came up with the name Peaceful Streets Project. 
This isn't this isn't that right. This isn't what the original vision was. And throughout that time, I actually developed relationships with some with some police officers in Austin. Some of them were really of like mind. One of them was viewed as like there was a internal fusion center report that got leaked through the blue leaks hack. And it referenced him. It referenced me. They did one on me for some of my activism uh, pushing peaceful streets project. And it said, like, we know that he hangs out with this John Bush character and he's considered a conspiracy theorist within the ranks. But I thought that it was valuable to have some folks on the inside of the law enforcement to build relationships, to try to to um, create more unity rather than so much division, because when there's division and there's hate, it only persists the problem. So what do you think about the importance of in activism in general, trying to come at it from an approach of compassion and understanding rather than this division, angst, aggression towards one another? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, it, I, I tell you, the, the only way to do it is love. And, you know, so uh, everybody's got, or at least most people that I know have friends that are police officers or family members that are police officers. And most of those guys signed up. When they signed up, the, the police weren't doing red flag laws. They weren't doing lockdowns. They weren't doing all of this stuff that they're being, they're being asked and forced to do today. And so I look at a, you know, I look at a lot of the, the cops as being, you know, good people that are trapped in a bad system. And so if they, if they say no, you know, we want to, we want to give them the ability to say no and, you know, lock arms, draw a thick red line in the sand and collectively refuse to enforce victimless crimes. And then that restores the respect to them. And then that ends them being forced to do these things that, that weren't asked of them. That wasn't in the job description when they signed up, you know, for law enforcement. And then the other thing that I was going to tell you is I agree 100 percent, you know, that we're, we're all about the love and we're all about, you know, having, you know, a good time and good relations with not just the police, but everybody. When we were doing civil disobedience in, in California that goes on today, you know, we're, we're doing events, you know, where we were reopening the beaches and we're having beach parties and we're, you know, and there's kids and there's people playing guitars and there's music and there's free hugs and there's like everybody is having a good time and so we want the police to come into that we want the police to join us and you know join you know come get the free hug come you know to our beach parties have a good time because these laws that they're enforcing they hurt them they can't have a beach party there's they're you know the, the police are under the same tyrannical rules that we're being forced under and they're getting sick of it too and you know like they said they like having beach parties too they don't want to see their rights stolen they don't want to see their rights stolen from their kids or their family members or whatever. And so this is this is really the tent that allows them to, you know, to, to come in with the rest of the community and for the community to support them. And so it's 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 a really, really big tent. OK, um, here, let's go to one of these questions. I referenced it earlier. This is Sourdough watching on YouTube. Thoughts on Detroit's Viper threat management with Dale Brown. Is he in line with the non-aggression principle? Any influence on the state? I know he works alongside them. What are your thoughts on Dale Brown's work? So I've met Dale Brown and we uh, call out uh, the Detroit Threat Management Center in the handbook uh, that you can do download for free at thickredline.org. But for those that are unfamiliar with Dale Brown and Detroit's Th Threat Management Center, that is a private police uh, organization that provides police services, police type services 
uh, in the city of Detroit, serving neighborhoods that the police have either abandoned or that have such a you know long response time uh, that uh, might as well have abandoned it. And so, what Dale Brown has done has kind of proven the business model that you can have privatized police police services where the where the citizens of the city are customers, valued customers, and are treated like customers and treated with respect instead of, you know, what you've got right now where you've got a monopoly provider and a lot of the, you know, the monopoly providers employees think that they are above the citizenry that pays their, that are, that are forced to pay their salaries and are rude and nasty and, you know, and, uh, um, and, uh, uh, you know, a host of other problems so Dale Brown proved it can be done and proved that the, that the, you know, that you can treat uh, your community like, you know, the customers that they are and still achieve, you know, uh, high uh, positive outcomes. Right on. Okay. Let's talk about some of the, the deeper strategy of actually accomplishing some, some good with this project. Let me, let me share some of the hurdles that come up in my head. Um, how do you overcome the fact that there are a significant number um, of cops that are that are generally just like bullies and they like the fact that they can have victimless crimes? And some of the as you know, oftentimes there's this good old boy network and the thin the thin blue line. Right. Which is a counter the thin blue line. Real quick, before I finish the question, will you share your understanding of the thin blue line with the audience? What does that mean? Uh, my understanding is that the police have a mentality that they are separating society from uh, barbarism, and that they they stand in between the uh, the good people of the world and the bad people of the world is a thin blue line. And if they only, and the problem is if only is that 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 would be the case if they only protected life, liberty, and property. But 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 you know as we as we and we're not sugarcoating it because there's no way to sugarcoat it when we're pointing out that when the police use violence on peaceful people, okay, to either raise revenue on their friends and neighbors or prosecute persecute people for crimes that have no victims, that they become the criminal in society and that they're using violence and that they're stealing money and they're committing kidnapping and they're committing extortion. And so, uh, so that's what my, uh, my understanding of the thin blue line is, is it saying that they're, uh, that they're standing between uh, civility and barbarity. Okay. There's an element of it that I understand that it's like a brotherhood, right? The thin blue line. And one of the tendencies within law enforcement is that they are going to get one another's back. And they're one of the reasons why we have a lot of problems in law enforcement is that whenever someone does step out of line, whenever someone goes against a policy, whenever someone is a little bit too aggressive or a whole lot too aggressive, more often than not, there's a tendency for the cops to get each other's back and to lie about reports or for the supervisor to look the other way. And there's another phenomenon that takes place where the cops that play ball and they don't rat out their buddies, they have a tendency to work their way up their ranks. And again, I'm not speaking in absolutes, but this is definitely something that takes place. So I trust that you agree that that takes place. And how do you think this project can help to overcome that? Because I see that being a big hurdle. There genu- generally are genuinely are some bad apples in there. And 
oftentimes the bad apples are the ones that become the lieutenants and the police chiefs. So how do you guys hope to overcome that? So yeah, 100%, I agree. That. So my, my thesis is that the majority of people that enter law enforcement did it for the right reasons, and there could be people trapped in a bad system. But I 100% acknowledge the the you know the reality that there are bad cops, and there are bad sheriffs, and there are bad chiefs, and some of them are even profiting off of the drug war whether it's you know that they're, they're corrupt using, yeah some of them are taking bribes yeah. and stuff too they're taking bribes or they're you know selling stuff that they confiscate from one gang out back on, out on the street it have you know they've been caught all you know police chief, police departments uh, all over the country have been caught selling stuff out of the evidence room and busting you know uh, rival gangs and transporting drugs for hotels and you know just a whole host of things that are prohibition related and so a lot of this violence and a lot of this criminality is prohibition related and so there are without a doubt there are Dirty, dirty sheriffs and dirty, dirty police chiefs that are profiting from the uh, from uh, drugs being illegal and from there being prohibition, and and from having to incarcerate lots of people. If you if you search engine the phrase sheriff and jail food scam, you know a lot of sheriffs they they get to keep uh, a certain percentage of their uh, of the jail food budget. And so that wow. they end up feeding the the inmates nothing but white cheese, you know, white bread and bologna sandwiches, three meals a day, so that they can pocket the difference. And there have been tons of sheriffs that have been caught doing that. And so I'm like, I'm acknowledging that that's a real issue. And so the thick line is how is one way that you can tell: Do I have a good sheriff or do I have a corrupt sheriff? It's not you know the, the main denominator, but like you know, if your if your sheriff is engaged in in you know in in uh, making money off of civil asset forfeiture or you know or drug prohibition, then of course he's going to not be for that going away so he can keep making money. And so the way that you know you got a one one way that you should be able to know that you have a good sheriff is that they're willing to say no victim, no crime, and they're not willing to prosecute drug war. And so, you know, I, I look at it hopefully as being a kind of badge of honor and for people to say, hey, I want to live in a county that is a thick red line county. I don't want to live somewhere where the where I can be preyed upon, uh, you know, or extorted at the at gunpoint, or you know, under threat of fines and fees, and you know, everything that the government throws at at peaceful people that are just trying to you know lead their lives and and you know and 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 aren't harming anybody, and so uh, so hopefully that's the way of of separating the good from the bad. Right on. Another um, difficulty I, I see y'all facing potentially is, you know, this, I think that this idea is going to be more successful in smaller communities, right? Where a smaller town, smaller city, smaller county, where everyone knows one another, the sheriff grew up with the business owners and everyone's kids played ball together, so on and so forth. A lot of these big cities, the law enforcement live in outlier cities. They don't even live there and mix it up with the citizens. So um, I'm curious what your thoughts are on overcoming that. And then one Unfortunately, one phenomenon that we have with bureaucracy is like whenever they get a budget, they want to maintain that budget 
and they try to seek to have projects and efforts in order to create a supposed need whenever the lawmakers or the budget gets created. Right. And so I do see in some big cities, some people, they won't want to give up victimless crimes because then it means they have to give away all their toys and stuff. So what's the strategy to overcome that? And like, is it like we need to have a critical mass? We need to have people making phone calls. We need to be building relationships. Uh, the same thing with the, a lot of city governments, I guess now with the defund the police effort that plays into it. I mean, are you guys in favor of defunding the police or keeping shifting the budget? It seems to, towards the victim, the victim crime, stuff like that. Can you address that? I mean, all, all of those are individual cities. It, like, what is the strategy? Depends on what the city is. Is the you know what are what are they doing right now? Are they already enforcement? I mean, there's 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 so many different variables. That's why I like thick red line in the sense that it's the one big. It's a really simple change. Like anybody can understand it. You don't really even have to retrain the police. Like, hey, you know, cops. It's it's not a victim. It's not a crime. Yeah. Just, just stop. You know, just stop. You know, if there's not a victim, there's not a crime. And then boom, that one simple change. Look, that's the whole, that's the whole training. We just did a whole training for the police on, you know, how not to, you know, uh, uh, get the, get the town mad at you. Um, you know, no victim, no crime, anybody can do it. And then it helps in, in so many different, you know, other, other places with respect to where the, where the police live. Um, yeah, this is one of the reasons why I think that policing has got tyrannical is that a lot of times we're busting people in out of town that don't know their neighbors and don't care about whether or not they're acting tyrannical or raising revenue or, you know, or, or any of the other, you know, uh, uh, abuses that the police regularly engage in. And so I think that if, if the police had to live in the town that they, you know, that they're enforcing these on and everybody knew the police officer's kid and they went to the same you know, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, school that it wouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. And I'm just one final question. And then I got to hop at one o'clock. I apologize, but I was talking to, you know, one of, uh, one of, uh, uh, thick red line community ambassadors the other night. And that's what we call it. Community ambassadors is the strategy is really, we're looking for people that have the gravitas, uh, to organize their own community and, sh and, and, that can go and talk to the media, can go talk to the mayor, can go talk to the police chief, can go talk to the sheriff, and that ideally already has connections in there and say, hey, this is this is good for you. This is good for the community. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is really what you know, shut down lockdowns and shut down the red flag laws and shut down everything and get their own local department on board. And so I was talking to, you know, a community, one of our community ambassadors in Oregon the other day, and he was telling me that, you know, uh, their, their school was under a, you know, a forced, uh, you know, something that the, that the school was being threatened, but because the sheriff's son went to the school and his child went to the school that the sheriff said, Hey, don't worry about it. We're not enforcing that. Nice. And so that's what happens when the sheriff lives in the community is that he's not going to, you know, have his family suffer and his neighbors suffer and the friends that he has on the school board yeah. suffer. And so I think that that's really, really uh, handy. And that's the kind of sheriffs we want to work with. We want to work with people that are, yeah. that want to be part of the community that, you know, that, that want to be, you know, want to be, uh, 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 pillars of respectability uh, you know and 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 not they're out there people are worried about them you know raising revenue on their neighbors 
Sure. Okay. Before I let you go, share with the audience how they can support this project. I know that this this is the pamphlet you guys are trying to get some materials put together. It looks like you'll have a uh, fundraiser that you're doing that's actually doing pretty good. You got over $10,000 raised. So can you share how people can get involved as far as activism and then uh, how their financial contributions could could help your project? Yeah, so uh, we're in the middle of a GoFundMe. We hit our initial goal of ten thousand. We had a twenty thousand nice. dollars stretch stretch goal from the beginning, and we're going to kind of announce uh, that in uh, in a week or two. But people can support us through the GoFundMe. They can support us at the site. Today, we're mailing out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of copies of our handbook for the police and thousands and thousands of our cards for cops that explain the police, the basics, but, uh, that's some way that you can hand. And every two weeks we've got a call, uh, where we uh, do trainings for community ambassadors, where we, ex- we explain to them how they can get involved and how they can, uh, organize their own communities. Uh, and, 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 uh, and so those are, those are some ways that we'd like to see people uh, evolve. Final thing is that, the, cause I know you've got an international audience, uh, we're spreading internationally. We've chartered our first international chapter in the Netherlands. And cool. so we're in the process of having that translated into Dutch. We're having a handbook translated into Spanish. And we think this is a global movement. It's a global problem. And yep. so even if you're not in the United States, you know, you can, uh, you can organize your own country. You can organize, uh, you know, we're looking for the kind of people that can, you know, organize an entire country and stop an amazing amount of violence and, uh, and, uh, heal societal division. Right on. Cool. Hey, well, I want to thank you for coming on the program. The The website is thickredline.org, thickredline.org. You can contribute financially. You can become an ambassador. Uh, go to the site to see all the social media and to join the two-week uh, – every two weeks they do this conference call to get to get tuned in. Thank you so much, Howard. You keep up the good work, man. This is a great project you all got going here. Hey, you too, John. Thanks for all you do, and thank you guys for uh, for listening. Right on. All right. We'll talk to you later. Keep it up. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Live Free Now show, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Today we chatted with Howard Lickman about the Thick Red Line Project. I think there's a lot of promise. I think, uh, you know, it's not going to be easy, but that which we obtain too cheaply, that which we obtain too cheaply, we esteem too lightly, as as Thomas Paine said. So again, check out the website at thickredline.org, thickredline.org. This been John Bush on the Live Free Now show. Peace. I'm out. Thanks.